0: Do you want a review from last week since you taught? Last Did week. I teach last week? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh,
1: yeah, so uh, going through the story of Exodus. Thank you for reminding me. It's been it's been a week. Uh, so uh, last week uh, in the story of Exodus, we looked at the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, several uh, observations from that. I should have pulled out my notes, but it's fine. Um, a handful of things. God's preparation for the people of Israel going into the uh, into the exodus, being delivered from the Egyptians. Uh, if you remember, they, they were completely exempt from uh, all the plagues, so far as we could tell. So they had livestock, they had crops, they had water, uh, they had supplies. They were prepared for the journey. Uh, they were, of course, ready for the Passover when, uh, when that time came. And then as they go out into the desert, uh, two to three million people um, all kind of start to wonder, hey, what's going on? Uh, God leads them to a dead end right at the um, edge of the sea, uh, and they start to freak out when they see the Egyptians coming, uh, as I think many of us would. They go, hey, wait a second, why did we go this way? Uh, God was taking them around a little bit longer route to get away from some of the Egyptian authority, uh, to get away from uh, some of the oppression that they may have still experienced uh, from, that, uh, from that standpoint. But uh, over the course of a couple of days, God parts the sea, uh, the people pass, uh, takes them about a day, day and a half, uh, and then the waters close up, and then we have this beautiful song of Miriam and Moses uh, of, uh, of praise that just kind of breaks out right there on the shores. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of prophecy in there too. Uh, Miriam saying the nations are now going to hear about who God is and what God does, and they're going to uh, be very afraid. Of uh, the reputation that this new God, this Yahweh, has uh, in the world. So, um, the the way to make yourself known in the world back then was just to conquer somebody and say, "I'm here now." And that's exactly what God does. He takes on the superpower of the world and uh, and says, "This is how this is how life is going to be. I'm going to take care of my people, and if you get in my way, you better watch out."
0: So, the first part of um, chapter. 15 is the song of Moses, right? You know, this the praising of, thank you, God, for delivering us. Thank you for everything that you've done. And then we get to the very end of chapter 15, and we're already complaining again. So uh, here, let's start with um, verse 22. So then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the, then the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them to be put to the test. He said, "If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where, they, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm tre- palm trees and they camped there near the water um, So at the very beginning of this, we've just gone from, you know, God is our deliverer. He has brought us out of the hands of the Egyptians, praise God. And then we're wandering in the wilderness for three days and now we don't have water and we're already back to, you know, well, what are we going to drink? And, you know, why did you do this? And um, God, once again, is going to provide for them. Um, And there's kind of this parallel that we see in these verses with the fact that like God provides something for Moses to put into the water um, for it to become sweet water for them to be able to drink the water, which is kind of, when you see him make this um, this testing, right, where he says you're going to be tested now, he's basically reminding them of when Moses turned the water to blood um, with the Egyptians. And he's like, I can do one of two things here. I can either make it to where you have water that is fit to drink or I can curse you like I cursed the Egyptians to where your water is not fit to drink. So be reminded of my power through this. This is kind of the thing that we're going to see throughout the next two chapters, really throughout the book of Exodus, but especially through these next two chapters of the people really having to decide like who am I going to trust? And God kind of calls himself something new here. He says, I am the Lord, the healer, in a lot of um, translations. So I guess the question is, why do you think that God decides to call himself the healer here? I also thought it was kind of an interesting name for him to give himself in this passage so just off the top of your head what, what do you think I'm really good with silence I teach middle school That's what I think. I think it's just another way of reminding them that, like, I can heal all things. I can make all things new. Um, Even in the hardest times, even when you think, like, I'm not there, like, I can heal all things. Because, again, as we saw with him um, doing the plague of water to blood, right, he fixes that. Like, he removes the blood from the water. So we know that he is capable of healing. So there's a lot of these things that he's going to do to remind them of here is what I did in Egypt, but here is how I'm going to take care of you. I cursed them. I'm taking care of you if you follow my commands. Okay, so chapter 16.
1: Can I say one thing too? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also interesting too that where where God chooses to reveal a piece of his character mm-hmm. uh, throughout the story. Because, you know, remember there's been 400 years uh, from Joseph to this moment. Uh, there is a big disconnect between the God who brought uh the uh, the israelites to a land out of a famine uh for his provision and blessed them and they multiplied and all those things and so now they have stories they have myth they have an ethnic uh, tradition but they don't necessarily have a uh, theological tradition set up necessarily they don't really know much about who god is other than like oh yeah remember that guy joseph we're we're a part of that somehow some way and now god is saying hey first off I am who I am. Second off, I am your deliverer, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to make good on all of the promises that you've heard about. And now I'm going to show you a piece of myself and how I'm going to provide for you here. And so um, I think you're right. Like the, the word healer is such an interesting uh, revelation for these, uh, mm-hmm. for these people. Uh, but they're also going to have to look at that and go, huh, well, what does that mean for me down the road? How is, how is God going to heal as, as time goes on?
2: I mean, it, it, and and for me, I mean, the, the entire book, or, or especially, I mean, from Egypt, you know, on is is it, it really is summed up in, in two words, and it's God's provision, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and it's 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 a it's a testimony, and it's a it's a lesson, okay, mm-hmm. in relying on His provision, yeah. and, and too often, I mean, we see it multiple times within short periods of I mean they, they get out of Egypt and, and it's like what did you do bring us out here to die? Mm-hmm. And then they get pinned up against the Red Sea. What what did you bring us, do, bring us out here to die? And then here it is, they get across the Red Sea. They just watch this miraculous, you know, event happen and 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 the entire Egyptian army is has, has been wiped out and they get to the other side. what did you do? You bring us out here to die. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then here again it's gonna be like what do you do? Bring us out here to die? Yeah. And so on and so forth. And it's like, I yeah. mean, one, it, 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 you almost question their, their ability to comprehend anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we're the same way. I yeah. mean, and, and there's so many parallels to this in our own you know, personal mm-hmm. life. And it's like, okay, and all God is wanting is he's going to say, just just, just rely on my provision. Mm-hmm. Just be, be, be trusting in me. <coughs> Yeah. and I will take care of you and and, and, and and that's I mean that's the core of all of this to sit there and, and, and see that mm-hmm. and hear that and, and understand that because how often do we personally in life it's like gosh God what did you do you brought me here to mm-hmm. suffer you brought me here to be in pain you brought me here to you know struggle no know I, I brought you I, I, I brought you salvation, mm-hmm. so you could be free.
3: Yeah,
2: yep. you know, and, and 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 that's exactly what he did for for Israel. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of yep. like, but yet every corner they turn, it's so like we, we would rather we would they what well, we we would rather have died.
1: In mm-hmm. Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Stayed we slaves, we would rather meets. have
2: died yeah. than than to come out here and 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 be but yet still wander yeah. and then be provided. For.
0: I also think you have to keep in mind that they are literally in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Like you've got the 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 cloud and then the pillar of fire that are just hanging out with them like it's normal. Right? Like and, and I, <laughs> I kind of think about like what you were talking about with how yes, did they know the history of God and Abraham and their forefathers? Yes, but when they were in Egypt, there was kind of that lack of that experience, that one-on-one intimate experience with this God, right? And now they are literally walking through this journey with God in the presence of God, and they're still doubting him, which I think, again, brings up the question in our own lives of, like, when God brilliantly reveals himself to us, do we, we still question it sometimes, right? Like, I know in my own life, I, I do that on a regular basis, was, this, was it really God, or was it really something else, right? Like, And you kind was of I begin to hungry? question
4: it.
0: <laughs> did I just need to eat a snack? Like, what, what, what was going on yeah. there? Um, okay, so let's look at um, chapter... Two yeah. more
1: things. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Two more things real quick. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to read through the entire Bible in a year. Anybody? Raise your, raise your hand. It's cool. I'm, no judgment if you made it or not. I never did. Um, because by the time you get to Leviticus yeah. and Numbers and Deuteronomy... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, it's okay to say that.
0: To yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like, all right. When I did that a few years ago, though, what I started to notice was a uh, a promise that gets repeated over and over and over again that we see right here. And this may be the first time that God says it. If you do this, mm-hmm. then this is what's going to happen. It's not a threat. And it's not it's not God saying you got to stay in this really narrow lane. It's it's a promise that you can mm-hmm. bank on. He says, if you do this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to multiply. You're going to see uh, what I can do. But if you don't, then the opposite is also yeah. true. Uh, and that like go back through Leviticus uh, and Numbers and Deuteronomy sometime and just find each one of those occurrences. Like there will be a list of laws and uh, dietary requirements and things, and at the end it'll just say, hey, if you follow all of this, you're going to be fine because I'm the one who's taking care of you. If you don't, then you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'll say too, before we get into chapter 16, and John, I'll give you a trigger warning. This is a mm-hmm. masterclass in what it's like to be a minister, a full-time minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think every minister always wants to be Joshua, the conqueror who takes them into the promised land, and you know, look at all the great things that we can accomplish together. Most of the time, you wind up being like Moses in the in the wilderness with the complainers. Uh, it's it's just kind of how it is. So. <laughs>
4: Real quick, I Uh think that we tend to be very critical of the nation of Israel as they continue to complain, but it's probably important for us to remember that they've just come out of 400 years of slavery, so they've, as far as we know, the last politically sovereign event that has happened was them actually moving into Egypt Mm -hmm. 400 years prior. They've not had to make any choices. Right. They've not had to be independent in any way, form, Mm -hmm. or fashion because the Egyptians have dictated what they're going to do and how Mm -hmm. they're going to do it and when they're going to do it. So as a nation in America of rebels, that's what we are. Like Mm -hmm. We are always thinking about our independence and our freedoms and Mm -hmm. our sovereignty. Mm -hmm. They have no structure or mindset. And if we look at other emancipatory events in the history of the world, it takes generations Mm -hmm. for people to... Be able to step out mm-hmm. of uh, indoctrination yeah. and into
1: mm-hmm. new thought. So, so it's like, like a, <laughs> <okay. And laughs> Yeah, like, in many ways. Like I think
4: it. that like we need to have a little bit of grace for the like... Yeah, no, absolutely. To be able to say okay, yeah, 400 years of never having to worry about these things or never yeah. really, which sounds like they were living in luxury. Obviously, they weren't. But <laughs> um, this was always dictated for them. So, yeah. Okay, I get, I get
5: that you're coming from a totally different place than I've ever mm-hmm. experienced or probably really Sure. And then, of course, kind of working off of that, it also comes down to, you always hear about, you know, emancipatory you know, events. It's like, is it going to actually change anything or is yeah. it just going to be that it's going to go back to the same way that it was, yeah. you know, before? It's just like, oh, you know, we're free from, you know, this dictator. And then the person who overthrew him, there was a 50-50 chance, probably more, Mm that they're just going to go back and do the exact same thing that they were, you know, that the previous dictator was doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's...
0: Yeah, I think France is a great example of that with the French Revolution. They're like, overthrow the monarchy, and then Robespierre's like a total, you know, just nut job. And so they're like... We're going to use the exact same execution style to get rid of you that you set up to kill all of these other people, right? We're (laughs) actually doing three revolutions. Right, then we have Napoleon, (laughs) and then they're like, uh, Napoleon, uh,
5: we're not really sure how we feel about this guy. You know, and it's like the one that immediately comes to mind is like, you know, the Russian Revolution. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, with the Bolsheviks, yeah. Where it was like, oh, we're getting rid of the monarchies, and then Lenin (laughs) takes them. Right. You have Stalin and all mm-hmm. that yeah. you know yeah. but, but it's, it basically just comes down to you know it's people that have not inherently been free they don't know what freedom mm-hmm. means and so I, I yeah. think that's kind of a unique
0: it's actually in the next couple of chapters that we see kind of the first establishment of what we would consider centralized government um, come about um, as we get into chapter 18. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. I don't think it's actually centralized government, but it's just the best way to like for us to wrap our heads I mean, around I mean, definitely it. Definitely kind of. Not. <laughs> like, you know,
5: you don't, I don't, the way that I understand it's like it doesn't feel like that Israel really has a centralized government mm-hmm. as we would understand it until like Saul.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until we have an actual king in place. Yeah, so it's
5: like. You know. Yeah. It, I mean that's that's my interpretation mm-hmm. in a way, you know, but it's it's just Israel is kind of you know, ancient Israel is kind of a bizarre mm-hmm. you know a bizarre, you know, outlier as far as the way that the state mm-hmm. as a organization is especially at that time and mm-hmm. you know especially in our understandings it's Usually, you think of, even if you're talking about a democracy or, you know, an autocracy or a totalitarian state or mm-hmm. whatever, Israel doesn't fit any of those, yeah. you know, models, Is you know, at least in the early days. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. Yep. You
0: get All to right. see
1: kind of, like, what it looks like to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Okay, so we're going to look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. And I'm just going to go ahead and read through um, verses 1 through 21, and then we'll just kind of, we'll discuss So then they left Elam and journeyed into the Sin Desert between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there a month after leaving Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel spoke bitterly against Moses and Aaron. Now Aaron's gotten, you know, pulled into the mix here. Oh, that we were back in Egypt, they moaned. It would have been better if the Lord had killed us there. At least there we had plenty to eat. Um, In one translation it says we had pots of meat and enough bread to fill our bellies. Um, which I think is a very interesting—you just had pots of meat, sitting there Okay, all right. Um, (laughs) But now you have brought us into this desert to starve us to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. The people can go out each day and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether they will follow my instructions. Tell them to pick up twice as much as usual Mm -hmm. on the sixth day of each week. Then Moses and Aaron called a meeting of all the people of Israel and told them, In the evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glorious presence of the Lord. He has heard your complaints, which are against the Lord and not against us. (laughs) The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning, for he has heard all of your complaints against him. Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say this to the entire community of Israel. Come into the Lord's presence and hear his reply to your complaints. And as Aaron spoke to the people, they looked out toward the desert. Within the guiding cloud, they could see the awesome glory of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the people's complaints. Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail arrived and covered the camp. The next morning, the desert all around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew disappeared later in the morning, thin flakes, white like frost, covered the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is this? they asked. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you. The Lord says that each household should gather as much as it it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person. So the people of Israel went out and gathered this food, some getting more and some getting less. By gathering two quarts for each person, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it overnight. But of course, some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. By then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell, and Moses was very angry with them. The people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need, and as the sun became hot, the food they had not picked up melted and disappeared. Alright, so, what is the issue here? What's the issue that they were dealing with? They were hungry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were hungry, and what are they doing about it? What are the Israelites doing about, about their hunger? They're complaining. They are hungry, and no one had snacks. And it's like children. I mean, they really are. Yeah, they have children. No, they're
2: the. They are the. Oh, they are children. Yes, like children. Yes. Yeah.
0: No one packs fruit snacks for this trip. Okay, so they're hungry, and of course, like I just love, like, love the diatribe of like Moses being like, just a reminder. (laughs) your complaints are against the Lord and not against us. And he says it like multiple times, just, just a reminder. I just want to throw that out there that who you're really upset with is not me. There's um, later on, we're going to see them once again, complaining about how they don't have water. And he's like, Lord, they're going to stone me
5: if we don't get
0: this figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, like I feel like Moses and Aaron really want to make it clear who they are complaining about, but also there's an element to this that i think is a warning to the people of israel like you need to remember who you are complaining about and who you are complaining to we are mere humans you are literally complaining to the god of heaven and earth the one who has brought you out of egypt the one who has done all of these miraculous things it is a reminder to them. God also gives a very clear reminder kind of again hearkening back to the plagues when he says that he's going to rain down food from heaven. What did he already rain down on the Egyptians? Frogs. Hail. (laughs) Like he has shown that he can either bless you or curse you through his his power right? Mm -hmm. Okay so
1: oh go ahead. Well something else too that you know, I think the text tells us is like God is speaking to Moses. He's not speaking to this entire nation. Mm. And so there's no megaphone going throughout, you know, these millions of people going, oh, hey, by the way, go, go pick up your food, right? Um, you know, he's speaking to Moses, and then Moses and Aaron are having to deliver that. And so I do think there is a disconnect between what they experience in the moment versus who God is and what God has done so far. And so, yeah, occasionally there's a cloud that pops up, and they all go, oh, yeah, that's, what we're, that's who we're dealing with. Uh, that's, that's who's going to provide for us. Um, so, I mean, you know, no idea how God actually communicated with Moses, whether it was in his head or there was a special tent or he just kind of went off and looked at a rock and I, I have no idea. Um, and I can imagine that, you know, as a regular person in the nation of Israel at this moment, they probably felt the same way or like, I mean, God's speaking to you. Like, why can't we hear that? Why can't we experience all of that? Um, and as we'll see later on when they get to Mount Sinai, sometimes you don't want God to speak. Sometimes you don't want to hear the audible voice <clears throat> of God. Uh, in fact, when you look at how people react when they do hear the audible voice of God, I'm not sure that I would want to hear that, um, you know, in my own life. So. Yeah.
2: But it also, I think it comes down to, they, they, it shows they don't fully trust God. Right. I mean, it, it, again, even after all they've seen, but they don't have full trust and, and faith in, mm-hmm. in him and what he says because they they are like children. They, they, you say, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this. You know, mm-hmm. the sixth day, pick up. I mean, it's, it's later on, but the sixth day, pick up twice as much because it's not going to be there the seventh day. Mm-hmm. And that they don't do it. And and, <clears throat> and, and and they sit there and they, so it's obviously that they don't. They don't trust mm-hmm. in in what Moses and, and Aaron have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also what, what God has had, has had to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and that speaks to their hearts. I mean, and that's again I think one of the reasons why he says you're gonna, you're gonna wander around this place for quite a while. Like, mm-hmm. You know, before before yeah. you get in there. Okay. It it does bring up the idea that it's like i last week. It's like a million ish people, mm-hmm. right? You know number. And it's like they don't have telephone, they don't have Facebook, they don't have email, they don't have normal, and so like in a weird way of like, upon receiving this, um, you know, in a weird way, there almost has to be a system of, kind of a system of government in and of itself, because if he's mm-hmm. the leader, you know, Moses is the leader of, this, of the people at this moment, of like how that is communicated, mm-hmm. and it becomes a bad game of I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't imagine you know, being at you. Know, I mean, because I would assume it would take days for,
0: for that to be right communicated, yeah. right? I can't imagine mm-hmm.
2: what it's like because then you're just trusting. Not everybody knows Moses. You know, millions people don't know Moses, mm-hmm. and so it's like
1: I'm trusting this person who's telling you what to do. Yeah. I don't really know. So that's a really interesting. we we're, yeah. we're no different. We have bosses. We have managers. We have leaders and ministers here at the church and we have to make that same choice are we going to trust the people uh, that we're supposed to be entrusted to mm-hmm. and how does that play out especially when there is a disconnect mm-hmm. and I think about too in our, own, in our own
2: faith right our own walk it's, it's we, we can all every single person can look back over your life and be better, <laughs> whatever whatever struggle you were in and whatever you were dealing with and you may have a question to make are you here or are, mm-hmm. you know, where are you but when you look back, okay, and, and hindsight's 20 you can see, no, okay, you were there. Every single time you were there, you were you were faithful, you, you did what you said you don't do, mm-hmm. right? But yet, for some reason, even if that's happened a million times when I'm speaking for myself personally, it's it happened a million times in my life, and I can look back at all of those experiences and say, okay, he was there every time, and I'm in that next, that next situation, and I said, "Well, what if this one time is not mm-hmm. right?" Yep. Yep. And I mean, I have no reason to doubt any of it. But yet, what if this one time is not? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's the same thing that's going through there. What What if tomorrow that man is not going to show up? Mm-hmm. You know. So I wanna I wanna have it a little extra. I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna make sure I get more
5: Yeah. Good.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, it's really easy for us to identify with, oh, there's so, so much children mm-hmm. right? And I think that sometimes when we, when we try to find ourselves in the text, we can miss the bigger picture because in the same way that God was in a new way revealing himself to the children of Israel, um, when we take the time, we can see he's saying so much about his sovereignty mm-hmm. and about his planning and provision beyond the moment. Um, and when we look at this text and we think about how um, how little they knew about God, I remember it was several years ago when I was when I used this to teach the story of the church. I did not recognize that mm-hmm. they left right after Passover. This mm-hmm. is fifty days later. This is Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. This is God revealing I am meeting your physical needs through the the the, the, the manna, yeah. the bread from heaven. Which, in Jesus's story, is Passover and then Pentecost and the, re- the giving of the Spirit. Um, he manifests a new kind of relationship with his children mm-hmm. um, in a new way, uh, and and so he's not surprised by the children of Israel's grumbling. Yeah, he is a patient, loving, like seeing him more as a father, mm-hmm. because. We don't begrudge our kids. Like, we may be inconvenienced by their grumbling, <laughs> but it doesn't change how we feel about them. Mm-hmm. And being able to see the end from the beginning, these, these rich patterns that we have that God is putting there for us to see, you know, this wasn't an accident, and this is um, going to be played out on a much bigger, deeper scale with Jesus. Uh, I just think it's, it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. when you start to find those things. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so... One of the questions that was in a devotional study that I was looking at said, what principle is God illustrating for his people with the bread from heaven? And I think, obviously, we can make a direct correlation to Jesus being like, I'm the bread, you know, like, take, eat, this is my body, right? We can we can draw connections there. Um, but I think two of the, um, and they're both in Matthew, um, and we use this, and uh, Josh is going through this right now, which is the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to actually read uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 11, Um, which says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that Moses tells them that they just need their food for that day that they have to be content and understand that God will once again show up tomorrow Mm -hmm. and provide again. Um, I think a lot of times, I mean, like, look at COVID, right? The toilet paper hoarding and the, like, people panicking that it wouldn't be there, right? Um, And I think this is a reminder that God is saying, I will provide. Do not doubt that I will show up and I will provide. Um, And and then again in Matthew uh, 6, 25 through 34. So I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries at a single moment to your life Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned with these things? Your heavenly father already knows all of your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I feel like my mom said that to me so much growing up. Like, don't worry. Don't be anxious about today. Everything's going to be okay. And I never made the connection... To this story that that's really what God is communicating here is that by saying two courts just two courts how are, every person should have two courts and I'm going to show up and I'm going to provide again tomorrow I never like made that connection here and I'm so glad that as an adult like I've, I've finally seen the connection between a real genuine connection so many times between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the way that God shows up, and the way that God provides, and the way he reminds us of his provision. Um, okay, so we're going to look at, also, I just had this vision in my head, I have to say this, okay, I just have to, of, like, the quail showing up, and they're just chasing them around. Like, that's, like, as a kid, I just thought it was, like, meat just laying on the ground, and they, like, but he's like, no, quail, actual quail. I just want... I want to see a movie where they're just like chasing these birds all around trying to catch them. That's really what I want to see.
4: Well, I think that's actually an important point because this is one of the dichotomies of God that I struggle the most to live in, which is, yeah, yes, like God is a provider and he's a healer and he takes care of us. At the same time, God is wild Mm -hmm. and unpredictable. And the ways that he chooses to take care of us are wild and unpredictable. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it difficult to trust. And we have thousands of years of Christian tradition now that try and tell us that God is, like, kind of formulaic, and if I input these things, then these things will come Mm -hmm. down. And there's two elements going on in this story, which is, I will provide for you, I can be trusted. I will provide for you exactly as I want to, you will not see it coming, and it will be something that defies all logic. Mm-hmm. So, for the nation of Israel, who is, because they are an ancient culture, they're very in tune with like, the natural processes of the world, mm-hmm. for God to, throughout the entire story of Exodus, flip those processes on their heads, like, I don't think we can get rid of the fact that God is wild. <laughs> Like, it's crazy stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. I
5: mean, especially by the implication of the to uh, imagine of, like, manna. Maybe I'm wrong, but the implication that you get is, is that it's not, you know, they're in the desert. Uh-huh. Know, it would be sandy and dirty and nasty. How yeah. would anyone want to eat that? It's mm-hmm. basically I mean, so it's like, the implication you get is is that it's not, you know, covered in sand and dirt and, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, filth. because. And so, like, that's, that's how I interpreted
1: it. Mm-hmm. I heard a preacher once describe it as frosted flakes. Yeah. Like, that's what they had on the ground every day. It's just frosted flakes. It's like, oh, that sounds so bad. Right. But okay. You got to eat it every day. <laughs>
0: right. All right. So, we're going to look at 22 through 30. On the sixth day, there was twice, twice as much as usual on the ground, four quarts for each person instead of two. The leaders of the people came and asked Moses why this had happened. He replied, The Lord has appointed tomorrow as a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. On this day we will rest from our normal daily task. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. The next morning the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, This is your food for today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. Gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground for you on that day. Some of the people went out anyway to gather food, even though it was the Sabbath day, but there was none to be found. How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? The Lord asked Moses. Do they not realize that I have given them the seventh day, the Sabbath, as a day of rest? That is why I give you twice as much food on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must stay in your places. Do not pick up food from the ground on that day, so the people rested on the seventh day. In time... Oh, well, we'll stop there. We'll stop at 30. <clears throat> okay. Um, why is there no bread to gather on the, se- sab- on the seventh... Se- oh, Lord. On the seventh day. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> why is there no food to gather? You're
5: supposed to rest.
0: Okay, he declares it what? Yeah. The Sabbath, right? Now, I think it's interesting that they say, why? I think in my head, I always just thought like they knew. But they're like, what is the, what's going on? No, what's happening? So this is the first time that like we're really seeing the Sabbath being implemented. Um, and I think the big question is when we look at people who still go out on the seventh day together and I think once again we're to the what did they get the message um and you know obviously we see God's frustration of like why are they not like obeying my instructions like when are they gonna get it that I will provide for them but again I think we can say the same things for ourselves right like God's like when are you gonna when are you gonna open your eyes and see that I'm gonna take care of you um the question um that I want to ask is do you see sabbath in this situation as a restriction or as a blessing?
2: If you're tired, it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walking around the desert. I mean, these days, the day of rest is, is a blessing, right? I
1: mm-hmm. anybody know any anyone who has ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I followed a couple of people on Instagram right after, uh, right after COVID, like the first people who got to do the trail, and it never failed Like everybody who does it wants to make progress. They want to hit a certain number of miles per day and all of that. And then there are what they call zero days, where they're in a town or the weather keeps them keeps them down, or they're unable to continue, uh, you know, making progress. And it frustrates them because they're like, Hey, I'm trying to make it all the way up to Maryland. Um, you know, all the way up to Katahdin at this point. So, um, but anybody who is a seasoned, uh, a seasoned hiker backpacker will tell you, you got to have zero days. You've got to have days where your body just does nothing, so that you can do the next six, mm-hmm. so that you can do the next twelve. however many it is?
0: Yeah, um, I actually had a moment this week um, on Monday of this week. My mom. Um, took the, took both of our boys Sunday night and had them spend the night at her house. And I was like, and she was like, I'm going to keep them all day on Monday. Like, you know, you do what you need to do. I was like, great. I'm going to clean my house. And she goes, no, that's not what I mean. (laughs) She goes, I want you to rest and like make time for yourself. Y'all, I spent the first like four hours of my morning having no idea what to do. Like, I I was like, what am I supposed to do? So I just like sat on the couch for a while, and then I was like, I mean, I guess I could go eat lunch somewhere that I want to eat lunch, and then I just I ended up having like this beautiful day where like I just did the things that like I needed to do for myself, like, um, and none of it I did buy cleaning supplies, so you know there was that. Um, but like I told Charlie, I was like, I don't know how to rest, like, and to to put myself. Like, in a moment where I can think about what is what is good for me. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Like, I coach softball. My boys play sports. Like, we are constantly going from one place to the other, and I'm constantly thinking about what does everybody else need and making sure that they're taken care of. And so for me to kind of have a Sabbath day um, was hard for me. Um, and you have to also remember the Israelites have not, had anything like this. Their whole lives have been about working from sunup to sundown as they lived through, through Egyptian slavery. Um, so this is a very interesting concept for them. In, in American hustle culture, it's, it's hard for us, right? Uh, we feel like we can't stop. If we stop, then everything falls apart. Um, so again, I think that we really have to evaluate where are we making space for Sabbath in our own lives? Um, and being okay with taking Sabbath. Um, and and not, not the idea of, like, oh, putting myself first, but, like, it's okay to take time to rest and meditate and do the things that you need to recharge for what's coming later on. Um, okay. Uh, we, I,
2: think, I think that's, too, you know, the idea of being still. Mm-hmm. Be still and uh
3: that
2: I've got mm-hmm. right. I mean, and that's, that's that's very difficult for us to do. Mm-hmm. It's because we're all in the impossible. Mm-hmm. It's like again, you I'd be in the same boat. I don't know, I don't know how to do nothing, right?
3: That
2: doesn't that doesn't, doesn't exist. Yeah, I don't know how to do it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, and so yeah, just be still and know mm-hmm. that I've got. Yeah. It's interesting to see in,
5: in the sequence of events in Exodus here that we read, the priority he puts on Sabbath. So he, he freezes people from bondage, he gives them water, he gives them food, he gives them Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's right up there. Yeah. You, yeah. Your, your daily need. basically. Yeah.
0: Your well, and then in the last part of the chapter, so in 31 through 36, he says, Remember. He says, take a jar, every family, take a jar of manna to keep with you, not to eat, but to remember God's provision. So it's like we have our food, we have our water, we have our rest, and we have remembrance. Mm -hmm. Like those are kind of the big things that we see in these, in in just, you know, 15, 16, 17, but even coming out of Egypt, right, is rest and remember, remember. Um, The jar that Aaron collects um, and it says, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. This is the jar that will eventually be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so th- they carried this jar around for a long time. Um, and then um, Eventually, it's it's one of those where they want to keep this as a part of their history to be reminded of God's provision for them. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get to 17 and that's 18 fine. today. Yeah, okay. um, we'll have to pick up their... Next week. Um, But does anyone have any questions or comments? Salutations.
5: Um. I just find it interesting that it comes down to, you think of the people complaining, it's no wonder that Moses eventually strikes the rock.
1: Yeah.
5: Yeah. That's, that, that that immediately just kind of clicked with me. That, mm-hmm. like, okay, it's, it's no surprise that he eventually did that. Cause he was like, I'm sick of you people. Come to blame me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I did,
1: I did full-time ministry for 10 years, and uh, there are many, many things that I could point to where I was just like banging my head against the wall or like, are you kidding me right now? The one I remember the most... Somebody came in uh, to the church office one time. You would know who it is if I told you their name. <laughs> and they said, uh, "They said my wife got sick because the air was on." And I said, "Excuse me, what?" And they said, "Yeah, it was too cold in the sanctuary." And uh, it's real my cold wife, in here. yeah, it's you know kind of like this. And he was like, "My wife got sick because of that." And I was like, "Okay, what what do you want me to to do about that?" And he was like, "Well, uh, next time we crank up the temperature." I was like, "I have no control over that." like i am the youth minister i'm not a facilities person uh and i was like i was trying to trying to do my best like to to understand what he was doing i was like hey can you show me where you guys sit and sure enough uh the place in sanctuary he was sitting uh was like at the convergence of two vents and like shooting right down on their spot i was like i mean you know you could just move and he was like why would i do that i was like okay (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, not going to win this one. Let's just let it go. Uh, my other favorite one was somebody who called, uh, who sent a uh, an email to the church office and said, the communion juice is too cold. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I thought that's where you were going. Yeah. So. No, no, that's, yeah. That's I was
1: funny, like, uh, sorry? <laughs> like just. <laughs> I like when the communion know. juice is cold. Yeah. <laughs> who wants
0: warm it's warm communion juice. It's right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's no, good. Have, it's in a yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 Awesome.
1: Uh, all right. We'll pick up. Next week. Is it me next week? I have no idea. Well,
0: I got it. We got to finish. We're going to, yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll finish this next week for sure. All right. Thanks for being here.